Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. In today's world, most people would consider themselves to be a good person. Many of us try to live a relatively moral life, stay in our lanes, and avoid committing crimes. In the secular mindset, there is no need for salvation, because most of us think we are not that bad. But how do we define what goodness is? Is there a standard for what is good, or is goodness simply relative? These are questions we all need to consider throughout our lives. And for those of us who believe in Yeshua, we know that nobody is perfect. In this season of Our Hope Podcast, we are going to answer some of the toughest questions we have received at Chosen People Ministries on faith and believing in Jesus. In this episode, we'll address the question we hear the most. I'm a good person, so why do I need Jesus? We are joined today by two guests, Robert Walter, who serves on our staff in Brooklyn, and Derek Blumenthal, who serves in Virginia, I now introduce the host of Our Hope Podcast, Abe Vazquez. Robert, it is great to see you again virtually. And Derek, you're a first-time guest. Uh, welcome. I'm so excited to have you both on Our Hope. Um, this is the first episode of our new season, season six. And we're going to be tackling a really cool theme, um, answering some tough, tough um, objections and, and, and questions that we hear from, uh, from, from people throughout our ministry. And so thank you for joining us. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Abe. Always a pleasure. Uh, so everyone knows it's not an episode of our hope without talking about food. Um, and this is probably Derek, the most important question you'll ever answer in your entire life. Um, so <laughs> what is your absolute favorite food all right so i've listened to most of the previous episodes of this podcast and i understand that you new york folks take your food choices very seriously <laughs> so and serious. i understand that 
But I'm originally from Philadelphia, oh. and I grew up in southern New Jersey, so our food pride is very high as well. Who would, I'd who, argue, who invited this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Care, I'd argue careful, the Derek. best, <laughs> the best pizza, the best pizza in the U.S. can be found in New Jersey, oh, and not New York. Oh, it's okay well, if we on. disagree. It's okay. We can still be friends. What what part of Jersey are we talking about? Oh, uh, South Jersey. No. South Jersey. Oh, let's see. Uh... Hey, what's going on? <sighs> Listen, who vetted this guy? Besides the pizza, besides the pizza, nothing, nothing can compare to a genuine Philly cheesesteak. Specifically okay, okay. from Pat's in South Philly, I don't think you can argue with me on that. Yeah, you're you're, you're getting better, but you kind of just ruined all credibility. Yeah, so I, I don't think I can listen to anything you say from the from this point on. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, Derek, uh, I have another follow up question for you. Uh, this is definitely more serious, um, but you are a Jewish believer in Jesus, correct? I am. Um, so I'm, I'm curious and I, I think all of our listeners are very curious how, uh, how did you become a believer in Jesus? Yeah, sure. I'd love to share that. Uh, so I'm Jewish on my father's side and like most suburban Jewish families where I grew up, uh, I didn't have a particularly religious upbringing. Uh, I always had a belief in, and, and even like a respect for God from the earliest age that I can remember, but I never really knew what to do with that. Uh, But when I was in high school, the friend group that I developed, totally unbeknownst to me, were all strong Christians. Hmm. And uh, they were involved in a youth ministry called Young Life. And I Hmm. started going to their events with my friends. And I loved it. And uh, it was there that I clearly heard the gospel for the first time. And when I was 16, actually on my 16th birthday at a Young Life summer camp, I responded to the gospel message and gave my life to Jesus. So. Then fast forward a few years, uh, and I finally met another believer of Jewish heritage. Up until that time, I hadn't. I didn't know that there were any. (laughs) And uh, he introduced me not only to the fact that there are other Jewish believers in the world, but he introduced me to the concept of Messianic Judaism, which Mm -hmm. I had never even heard of, Mm -hmm. and the concept of Jewish evangelism and ministry and the importance for it. And I immediately immediately recognized that this was my calling Mm. to reach my people with the gospel. And then fast forward a bunch more years and here we are. That's awesome, Derek. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. Um, You know, Derek, who who was that Jewish believer that you met the first time? Okay. So uh, his name is Ari Halbin and Ari is in fact now on staff with Chosen People Ministries. He wasn't at the time. He was working at the university I was going to and was speaking at a Christian fellowship that I attended. And uh, so now full circle, we get to work together. Nice. That is awesome. Look at that. <laughs> well, I- I'm so glad, again, that you're with us. You know, a lot of, a lot of the questions that we're going to be talking about this season, are they come from Jewish people, you know, and, and you probably had some of those questions yourself, Derek, growing up. So the question we're going to be a- asking today is a question that uh, I'm sure both of you have probably experienced or even asked yourself it's this question of I'm a good person and I don't need Jesus. So, so have you ever encountered someone who asked you that while you were presenting the Messiah to them or just in conversation? What was, what was that like for you? I mean, this is a, uh, an objection or a statement that you'll hear quite often. And I know I've definitely heard it quite a bit, especially during our, uh, our annual summer mission trip in New York city called Shalom, New York, mm-hmm. uh, which is a wonderful experience. But <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, honestly, this is sort of like a byproduct of the culture. Um, 
and part of human nature. I mean, there's this defense mechanism that we as humans have when we're when we might feel like we're attacked or being accused of being uh, unworthy or bad. It's like, mm-hmm. no, no, hold on, hold on. I'm I'm a good person. Yeah. I'm not a murderer. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't. I'm not a thief. You know. I'm, and and then we sort of fall into the trap of uh, comparing ourselves to to each other. It's like, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, I know, I know what this person does, and I'm not like that. I'm, I'm a good person. I don't try to harm anybody. You know. Yeah. So, um, it's definitely just something that you'll hear from, you know, everybody, Jewish people, Gentile people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that anyone, uh, Jewish or not, has ever said those exact words to me in response to me discussing the gospel with them. But the sentiment has been shared plenty of times for sure. Right. But more often than not, I think like what Robert was saying, uh, I've seen the objection as more of a dismissal than a genuine claim. Uh, It doesn't make it easier to hear. You know, what it means is that that person who says this really has no idea how a relationship with God works in the first place. So they obviously don't know him, which is tragic, uh, because if they did, they'd know that being a son or daughter of God is not determined based on merit, but rather by faith in Yeshua the Messiah. And they would also have a very different understanding of what it means to be good. Mm. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. What? Let's define what people mean when they say they are good. Um, and how do most people decide if they're even good? Uh, I think uh, most people assume they're good, quote unquote, good in, in a general moral sense. Uh, just like Robert was saying, I'm not a murderer. I don't steal. I don't whatever the, you know, the big, the big hitters. Uh, or, or at least they find themselves to be better than most, mm. meaning they judge themselves generally by the choices they've made or their internal thoughts and feelings compared to what they observe in other people. And we all know it's easy to find examples of people who you feel objectively better than. So based on what you just said and what Robert mentioned earlier, so people define good when they're comparing themselves, really. It's kind of like they're they're measuring themselves up against others, and that determines if they're good or not. In my experience, that's been more often than not how people define goodness. Hmm. Yeah, and I would add, you know, if we are thinking about um, the Jewish people in general as well, um, there is this concept in more like religious Jewish circles, but it's also something that kind of is prevalent in just broader Jewish culture, even among more secular Jewish people, uh, this idea uh, of goodness or even sin and uh, the idea that uh, original sin is not the reality, that mm-hmm. origin- original sin does not exist in a lot of uh, in, in religious Jewish thought and theology. Um, instead, there's this concept, this idea that everybody has a good inclination and an evil inclination. Mm. Uh, the Yetzer Hatov is the, it's the Hebrew for the good inclination. The Yetzer Hara is the evil inclination that we're born with these, these dueling um, propensities inside of us, these dueling wills. And it's sort of uh, our goal to, uh, to do enough good uh, to sort of uh, squash the bad and, and, create opportunities and make the choices to give in to the good inclination rather than the evil inclination. Mm. Uh, So, you know, I think that's something that um, we definitely need to keep in mind. And 
uh, especially when we're thinking about engaging with Jewish people yeah. on this particular topic. Yeah, and you bring up an inter interesting point about this this uh, battle between good and evil. Um, and, and I know C.S. Lewis once argued that, quote-unquote, universal morality points to the existence of God. And when we look at the laws in various countries throughout history, we see a lot of recurring commands, right? So, for example, mm -hmm. you, you see laws against theft and murder. That's pretty much universal. Would you say that God gave each person the capability to know the difference between good and evil? Yeah, well, we know from the Bible that one of the results of the fall of man, you know, going back to the Garden of Eden, is the knowledge of good and evil. That's what God called the tree that Adam and Eve ate mm. from. Uh, so it's interesting to think that they didn't really need to become conscious of good. They already knew what good was because they walked with God. All they knew was good. So eating from the tree made them aware of evil. Mm. And so, yes, in a general sense, I think people have a basic internal barometer for recognizing moral good mm -hmm. and evil. And of course, you know, culture plays heavily on the more specific aspects of recognizing good and evil. And none of this really addresses man's ability to choose good over evil. We're just talking about recognizing it. Mankind being born into sin, of course, is described in the Bible as being a type of slavery from which a person can't free themselves. Mm. So the next step is not only recognizing what good and evil is, but talking about do we even have a choice or can we make a choice in one way or another? Hmm. We're, we're constantly told, you know, we're, we're sinners, right? We've fallen mm -hmm. short. So are we good people? Are we good? That's an excellent question, Abe. Yeah. I mean, who who can possibly when when you when it comes down to it and you look at what God's standard of goodness is, um, as defined in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, uh, does anybody, can anybody actually live up to that standard? Right. And, you know, going back to this concept of the good inclination versus the evil inclination, um, honestly, um, this developed in, you know, re Jewish religious thought. Uh, but when you really compare it to what the scripture has to say, it doesn't hold much water. Um, this idea of a good inclination, it's never mentioned in scripture. It's ne th those words are not used. Evil inclination is used. I mean, that's pretty clear. I mean, the, the heart, the human heart, the heart of man and woman it's uh, described as being uh, deceitfully wicked, mm. and like beyond comprehension. Nobody can actually know the heart. Um, even, even our good deeds are def defined, according to Isaiah, as being like filthy rags. Mm. Uh, and, you know, when you look at the Hebrew for that, it's, it's very descriptive, very, uh, very, very, you know, nasty stuff. And that, that's how our goodness looks in God's eyes. Um, so when you when you when we consider that, uh, how does the scripture talk about the goodness of mankind? It's uh, like Derek mentioned, since the fall, uh, since the Garden of Eden, when when Adam and Eve willfully chose to disobey God, there hasn't been much, you know, quote unquote, goodness on display for man. I'm thinking about the the the, the verses uh, Romans one eighteen through thirty two. Does that 
chunk of scripture hint at um, God giving people the capability to know the difference between good and evil? I'd say uh, that that part in Romans 1 is referring more to those who suppress the knowledge of the existence of God, maybe more than the definition of good and evil. But I can definitely say by extension, insisting that God doesn't exist has all kinds of ramifications on one's moral compass, doesn't it? So if God didn't exist, then he can't define what is good and what isn't, which means then that there's no absolutes. And of course, we know that isn't true. So standing on that foundation, that faulty foundation, leads us to all kinds of waywardness in regard to good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with Derek. I think that that section in Romans 118 uh, can really explain so much about the nature of of mankind. Uh, and it does, it, it all comes back to our understanding of God and our relationship with God or lack thereof. And the way that mankind, the way that humanity is described in Romans 1.18, I'll just, I'll read a few passages here so we can sort of get a, a, a taste of what Paul is writing. Romans 1.18, he writes this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Mm. So the way that Paul is, you know, sort of beginning this argument, he's letting us know that um, everyone, every human being who has ever lived uh, has some kind of internal recognition or understanding that God exists because God has communicated his identity, uh, his, his deity, his nature. Um, and, you know, part of God's nature is God's goodness and God's righteousness and, and what the standard of goodness and righteousness is, that this has been made clear to us simply through creation, mm. through the created order of things. So simply in creation, we understand and we recognize, or we're supposed to understand and recognize that we have a great need, that we fall short of something, that we mess up, that we do the wrong thing uh, in our lives. And, you know, uh, this is, this is, uh, again, this is human nature. You yeah. know, if you were to talk to a parent uh, of children, uh, once you start having kids, you understand pretty quickly uh, the fallenness of human nature and mankind. You know, the, the, the famous quip, you know, you, you, you don't have to teach a child how to lie, <laughs> mm. right? They, we, we, we're just born with this, yeah. uh, this propensity to, to deceive to lie, to do the wrong thing, to make those wrong choices. And, you know, what Paul is laying out here is that uh, this is made clear through through creation. You know, and, and he goes on, he talks about the nature of man now. So Romans 1 24, therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen.
We'll be right back. Shalom. My name is Nicole Vaca, and I'm one of the co-producers of Our Hope podcast. We created Our Hope to be a window into the Messianic community, a place where we can discuss Israel and the Bible, and a resource for people who want to share their faith more effectively and compassionately with the Jewish community. If you are interested in supporting what we do, you can donate to Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com donate. You can also support us by sharing this podcast on social media with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for your support, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. been really focused on the good part of that that question right i'm a good person why do i need jesus so before we tap a little bit into the why we need jesus um i think we need to address something so it, it, to a lot of people the idea of god simply forgiving us let's be honest it sounds really easy it's like oh he can just forgive me just like that i think there's a lot more to that but um <laughs> Some would argue that mm-hmm. God's grace because of Yeshua's sacrifice leaves the door open for people to continue doing the wrong thing, to continue doing what they're doing, taking advantage of God's grace. How how can we, we respond to this argument? Yeah, so the Bible addresses this really specifically. Uh, Paul in, in Romans 6 says this, he says, uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? You know, he's making the argument saying, since we understand grace, should we just continue to sin so that we can keep seeing grace in our lives? And he's setting it up as a ridiculous argument. He says, far from it, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? So in other words, when one comes to faith in Yeshua, we experience a total transformation. We're, we're not just forgiven for what we've done, or, or what we haven't done in the past, we're actually mm. made into new people, no longer slaves to sin, but rather walking in righteousness. So it's almost a moot point. Why would we can't even ask that about ourselves? Because if we truly know Yeshua, we've been made new. We wouldn't, we don't any longer have the desire mm. to want to run after sin. It's so much more than just yeah. being simply forgiven, as you said. It's, right. a, it's a death to the old self. It's a new birth into a new life in the image of God that we were always designed to have. So everything about us changes from that point. Right, which is something I think we need to really um, be careful of, uh, not downplaying the magnitude of the goodness of God on display in and through the death of his son Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. It's phenomenal because, like Derek said, before that you know, became reality before we came to believe and were transformed and were made into new creations and were born again, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, before that happens, the way that we're described is again, like Paul uses the very strong language in Romans chapter one, but we also see Yeshua use language in John chapter three. Um, and Paul used language in Ephesians chapter one, you know, we are, we were dead in our trespasses. We were slaves to sin. Our, our status was different before. 
we were different. We were dead in our trespasses, uh, uh, slaves to sin. And, and you know, this is the language John, that uh, Jesus uses in John chapter 3. We were condemned already. Mm. We were condemned already. You know, uh, in that famous passage, in that conversation between Yeshua, Jesus, and Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, where, he, you know, Yeshua says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in him uh, shall not perish but have eternal life. You keep reading that passage in, in John chapter 3, verse 17, and you see how Yeshua refers to uh, the condition of man and how we are changed and transformed through this encounter with Yeshua. He says this in John 3:17, For God did not send his send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That was our status before Yeshua. We were condemned already. We were judged already. Uh, we were dead in our trespasses. We had been given over to the lusts of the, uh, our hearts of impurity. You know, we were, uh, we were different. But that encounter with the, the true goodness of God that is on display through the death, burial, resurrection of the Messiah Jesus changes us, transforms us. How do we explain, you, you were just talking a little bit about how, how Jesus responded to some of this. Um, so how do we explain Yeshua's role in reconciling our sin and brokenness to someone who doesn't think they need Jesus or religion or anything? So I'd say there's little to gain in arguing with someone who doesn't want to take an honest look at themselves. But for anyone willing we can share about the intense mm. love that the father has for you yeah. because it is that it is intense. He sees and knows every thought and every feeling and it matters to him immensely. We're valuable to him in ways that we may not even be able to mm. understand. We definitely can't understand. He understands our brokenness. He understands our sin and he wants so badly to relieve us of it. And that's why he promised Messiah in the first place, to reconcile us to God and make us sons and daughters. Yeah. Totally new, totally clean. And so then thinking that you don't need Yeshua or religion, it doesn't change the universal truth. You know, we, we do need right. him, whether you think so or not, we do. All of us, and he can't wait for us to run to him. That's his anticipation. So as believers then, for anyone and everyone who don't yet see, we have an opportunity and an obligation to pray that God would open their eyes. Yes. And I would add that in addition to praying for, I mean, obviously we want to uh, engage with and discuss with, um, you know, people who need the Messiah, who need this life changing, this e eternity changing encounter with the risen Messiah, Yeshua. And uh, one thing that's that I found to be really important when speaking with um, someone who uh, may have this objection, you know, or who may be seeking, is uh, the tone that we have. 
You know, we want we want to have that same kind of love and commitment and passion um, that Yeshua has. You know, uh, obviously we're not Yeshua, but you know, the Spirit of the Living God it dwells inside of us. He's changed us. He's transformed us. He's given us gifts, and we ought to have the same sort of burden to uh, proclaim the gospel um, and to do it in a way with love, with truth, and uh, with sincerity. And again, I think one of the best examples that we have for this in the New Testament is Paul. And um, I, I'm, I'm indebted to uh, Dr. Daryl Bach. He, he gave a, um, a, a chapel message once at the Feinberg Center that just really blew my mind. You know, I mean, we've been looking at Romans chapter one here. Well, he used Romans chapter one as sort of the basis. And he said, this is the understanding that Paul had of the people that he was trying to reach. This is, this is how he described them, uh, given over to uh, the lusts of their hearts. And then down in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, he, Paul's describing the people that he's trying to reach like this. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So th this is how Paul's describing the people that he's, you know, trying to reach and minister to the people who need this uh, message of the goodness of God. But when you follow Paul uh, throughout the book of Acts, especially on his journeys, as he's going into a new town or a new city, as he's in engaging with and encountering these people that he describes in Romans chapter one, how does he go about sharing the gospel? How does he go about sharing this good news? you know, good news of Yeshua. He doesn't come like with guns blazing, okay. pointing out, hey, you're, a, a, you're filled with malice. You're an adulterer at heart. Yeah. You know, you're, um, uh, you, you know, he, he doesn't list off everything that he just uh, says in Romans chapter one. Instead, what does he do? Well, um, the prime examples in Acts chapter 17 with Mars Hill, when he was in Athens and he encounters idolaters you know and he's and he's walking around you know acts chapter 17 verse 22 so paul stood in the midst of the areopagus and said men of athens i observe that you are very religious in all respects for while i was passing through and examining the objects of your worship i also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god therefore what you worship in ignorance this i proclaim to you the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. 
Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Hmm. So the way Paul went about it was he looked for those connection points uh, in the, uh, the, the men of Athens in their culture. Uh, he looked for those redemptive analogies and he did it with a tone, with a, a, um, an attitude that wasn't coming in heaping condemnation. You know, he, he knew what, what the reality was for the hearts of these people that he was talking to. I mean, he lays it out for us in Romans 1. But here in Acts 17, he's seeking to bridge the divide and he's mm -hmm. doing it with love and uh, with with a proper attitude. And I think that for me has always been just such an important lesson uh, in evangelism. Yeah, it reminds me, speaking of tone and approach, the fact that we see throughout the Gospels when Yeshua encountered people, any and all people, he encountered them with overwhelming compassion. Uh, it says in Mark 6 and, and elsewhere that, you know, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then because of that compassion, he determined to save us from our sinful state. So if we are ambassadors of Messiah in the world, then we should and naturally can as we walk with the Lord, have that same compassion for people. And it should show in the way that we communicate the, the good yeah. news of the gospel. Yeah, and just to add that the Greek word that's used there for compassion in Mark 6 and in Matthew 9, which is the parallel passage. Yeah, Matthew's parallel passage. Uh, the, the Greek word is splanknon. It just, <laughs> just rolls off the tongue, right? Splanknon. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and what it what it is, it, it sounds like a pastry. It's a very picturesque kind of word because it's like the, the Yiddish would be kishkas, you know, mm. deep in your gut. So what Yeshua felt was this compassion that he actually felt in his gut. It like it turned his stomach uh, to see uh, his people um, uh, like sheep without a shepherd and, you know, mistreated and, and just left for dead is, mm. you know, how it's uh, the wording is described there. So. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, God, give us that kind of splanknon, you know, God, give us that kind of compassion for people. So I have a last Last question for you both. Um, we've heard a lot about the theological reasons and um, we've for, for needing Jesus and um, we define good and we really tackled this question. Uh, but ultimately, for, for each of you personally, why, why did each of you decide that you needed Jesus? Yeah, for me, it took me comparing the holiness and the perfection of God that I came to understand through the Bible mm -hmm. with an honest look at myself and the comparison of the two. My thoughts, my motives, my decisions, all of it. And, you know, I wasn't some wild rebel by any stretch. Uh, I don't have that kind of testimony. Uh, but I understood that, like everyone, I fell far short of perfection. And that didn't make me upset, at least not for long, because 
I was confronted with the fact that God loved me so much and gave himself for me in the person of Yeshua the Messiah. He wanted me to be his son. He wanted to walk with me through life. He wanted to spend eternity with me personally. He wanted to fill me with his spirit. And he couldn't wait for me to run to him. It wasn't like it was, uh, I realized it wasn't like he was put out and just felt obligated. <laughs> he wanted that, desperately, deeply wanted that from me. And he showed me that and I was, I was undone. I was undone. I gave him my life and the rest is history. Robert? Yeah, so for me, um, I was 19 years old. I was uh, heavily involved in drugs and um, just a, a very, very dark lifestyle. And um, over the course of about three months, the Lord began to convict me about the way I was living. And um, I, I remember driving down the road in the car with some friends and even telling them how convicted I felt. And they said, why? And I said, because I know the Bible says something about not doing this. And they all laughed at me and um, just kind of brushed it off. And hmm. uh, it, it came to a head one evening um, when I was just confronted uh, again, like Derek said, just with an honest look at myself. And I knew, I knew with beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was steeped in sin and uh and wickedness i mean it was clear to me um yeah. i had no delusions that i was good and uh, for the first time in my life from that place from that really just like bottomed out kind of place i spoke to god i prayed really for like the first time in my life and i said god if you're real show me and within moments of praying that prayer he answered and i was overwhelmed and flooded by the holy spirit of god and uh, just transformed, transformed totally, completely. I, I, I knew God's love in that moment. And I just had an undeniable recognition that Jesus answered me. Mm. And everything changed. Everything in my life changed from that moment forward. And we don't stop needing him. <laughs> Need him every single day, every single moment of every hour. I'm so grateful to you both for being here. I'm so grateful for your testimony um, that has ultimately brought you here to this episode. It's just so encouraging to hear from you both. Derek, thank you so much for this being your first time. I hope it's not the last time. And um, it, it was great to hear your thoughts and, and I'm excited to, for the rest of this season to really dive into more of these questions. Um, so thank you. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Yeshua Messiah for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Messiah Yeshua. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Not one of us can ever be good enough to meet God's standard of goodness. But the good news is that God 
sent his son to cover our offenses with his sacrifice. We will never be perfect, but Yeshua lived a perfect, blameless life. And though we fail, by God's grace, because of Yeshua, we can get back up and continue following him. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Next week, we are going to answer another important question that we often hear. Is believing in Jesus idolatry? Tune in next week to find out how God can become a man and the relationship between God and Yeshua. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Chosen People Ministry staff members Robert Walter and Derek Blumenthal. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca and edited by Grace Sweet. This episode was also brought to you by Dr. Mitch Glazer, Brian Crawford, Kyron Bautista, and Neil Saraski. I'm Abe Vasquez. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at OurHopePodcast.com slash support. See you next time.